Good morning. The reading today is taken from Acts chapter 13, verse 49, and continues through to um, chapter 14 to the end, and it's on page 1,109. <clears throat> the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and, <clears throat> and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they took, shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to be believed stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot amongst the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, had been that way from birth, and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from the worth, these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, um, the next day, and, and he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church <clears throat> and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Poga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of, of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and welcome to St. John's. Uh, my name is Aaron. If this is your first time here, I'm uh, the sister minister here at St. John's. And welcome to you too, if you are streaming, streaming live online. Um, if you still have your Bible open with you, we are on page 1,109. Uh, let's pray. Father God, please open our eyes so that we can see the wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, have you ever experienced anyone giving a false accusation, saying untruth, untruthful things about you for the right things you were standing for? Uh, perhaps it was at your school. Perhaps it was at your workplace. Um, or worse still, at a, at a Christian community, like within the church. Um, just imagine a brother or a sister who you trust, who you thought was on your side, backstabbing you, betrayed your trust, slandered against you, and tried to bring you down. Uh, back in the 1800s, the Baptist Union of the Baptist churches had become very inclusive in a very unhealthy way. There were churches within the union who watered down the scripture. They denied Jesus who died for their sins. By doing so, they minimized the original sin. Uh, basically, believing things that contradicted to what we believe here at St. John's. So Charles Spurgeon, uh, whom Tom mentioned about last month, who spoke at Hempstead Heath, the famous preacher, Charles, Charles Spurgeon, uh, raised his concerns, saying that the church should not compromise by associating with those who essentially believe in something different from what we believe. Uh, he wasn't saying that we should stop loving those people who deviated from truth, but, but we cannot call them brothers and sisters in Christ if they don't even believe Christ died for their sins. Well, as you would have guessed, he was falsely accused by others. Um, he was accused for rousing the energies of thousands of Christians to engage in his personal wrangling and strife instead of inspiring them to bring the gospel to their fellow countrymen. Uh, this is nothing new, isn't it? 
in the Church of England. We've seen those who deviated from the biblical doctrine of marriage, who turned around to point fingers at churches, who believe marriage is between one woman and one man, and accuse us for not being open-minded enough, or not willing to be inclusive to those who hold different views, making us to be the villains. So, so we're continuing in our act series, seeing the amazing spread of the gospel to the end of the earth. And we've seen this recurring theme throughout the book of the Acts. They preached the gospel, they faced oppositions and persecutions. But despite hardship and persecutions, the gospel spread. In chapter 13, we learned that Paul and Barnabas set out from Antioch on their first missionary trip. It was an important turning point because before chapter 13, they were still focusing on sharing Jesus with mainly the Jews, their fellow countrymen. But now we are seeing the gospel, we are seeing the power of the gospel turning many of the Gentiles into Christians. Sorry, my phone is playing up, so I'll ask Claire to help me. However, their mission, mission journey wasn't smooth at all. While Paul and Barnabas got to see many people turning to Christ, there were those who hated them and persecuted them. So they left Pisidian Antioch and went to Iconium. That's 90 miles southeast of Pisidian Antioch, as you can see on the map. And looking at the first two verses of chapter 14, can you see straight away the mixed response of how the gospel was received? The gospel we preach is the message of, is the message of God's grace. It's our first point. It divides. Either people receive it or they hate it. So here we have Paul and Barnabas per their usual practice. The first thing they did when they go to a new, new location was to go straight down to the local synagogue to first preach to their fellow countrymen. And their effective preaching bore many fruits. In fact, they were too effective. It brought them opposition. The Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Perhaps lies were told, rumors were spread, and characters smeared. So often, awful and hurtful words were spoken against us who follow Jesus. Uh, the usual stuff, you, you Christians, are intolerant. Uh, they are homophobic, bigots, abusive, stubborn, and many other derogatory terms you could think of. You might be thinking, how awful was it that people's opinion could change just like that? But just look back at look back to chapter 13, verse 50. Even the God-fearing people could believe the lies of the enemy and turn against you. 
You know, even you and I could be swayed by the lies of the enemy so easily. If we are not careful, we too could end up being those who attack the innocent. So don't be surprised when attacks come our way. But just notice the response of Paul and Barnabas. See, um, in verse 3, chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord. And notice that the Lord is the one confirming his own message of grace is true. See, the Lord did it by enabling Paul and Barnabas to do great things for his own sake. The Lord is the one in the driver's seat. The Lord is actually the one who's doing all the heavy lifting. But you see, even when God works wonders through Paul and Barnabas, there are still those who would simply not believe. Not only would they not believe, but they also attack those who believe. So don't lose heart if people don't come to faith with you when you shared Jesus with them. Eventually, Paul and Barnabas did have to flee for their lives because their enemies plotted to have them killed. <clears throat> but still, they went on to the next city, and they continued preaching. They kept on sharing the good news. <clears throat> Secondly, the gospel we preach is about the gracious living God who gives. Verse 7, they continued to preach around Lystra and Derby. Paul and Barnabas, they weren't exactly hiding, were they? If we weren't told about what had happened earlier, no one would have known that they barely just escaped alive and fled from Iconium, where people were trying to stone them. Verse 8, they encountered a man-born lamb. And the healing of this lame man here is a very similar encounter to the, to the one um, Apostle Peter encountered back in chapter 3. Uh, Luke recorded this healing miracle in detail to draw the parallel to show the readers how um, just as Jesus continued his ministry through Peter to reach the Jews, Jesus is continuing his ministry, his work through Paul to reach the Gentiles. And if you compare this account with the account back in chapter 3, you'd really notice how similar they are. And do that in your own time, but I'll just tell you what they are. So if you compare them, um, you notice the similarity there. Both lamb, both lamb men here in chapter 14 and in chapter 3 were born that way, unable to walk over their lifetimes. Both of them paid attention and I suppose, this, I suppose this is a sign of showing that they had faith to be healed. And then both of them jumped up as they were healed. So, so here in chapter 14, we're looking at a man who had never walked in his life. And can you imagine the surprise, the reaction of the people when they witnessed someone who had never walked suddenly jumped up 
and walked. The healing in chapter 3 happened outside the temple of our creator God. But in chapter 14, the nearby temple is the temple of Zeus. Zeus is the supreme ruler of Mount Olympus and of the pantheon of gods who lived there. And in both accounts, people were amazed. And in both accounts, the temple priests came out. So many similarities, but there's one huge difference, one huge contrast. The Jewish priests came out to arrest Peter and John back in chapter 3. But here in Lystra, the temple priest came out to offer sacrifices. Um, they've mis mistaken Paul and Barnabas as gods and were trying to offer sacrifices to them. Barnabas is older, mostly like, most likely bearded, and Paul is younger. They might have looked like how people think Zeus and Hermes would look. Uh, Paul also did most of the talking, much like Hermes' role as um, the herald of Zeus. And there's a local legend in that area that Zeus and Hermes visited that area before there, and, and had, had looked for a place to stay. And they visited a thousand homes, but none of them welcomed. None, none of those people welcomed them in, except one elderly couple. So Zeus and Hermes, they rewarded this elderly couple, but brought great destruction to the rest of the area. And the crowd had heard this story, and they certainly don't want to repeat that mistake. So they wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And look at verse 14. The apostles Barnabas and Paul, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, guys, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. Well, we might not be able to perform miracles like Paul and Barnabas. And, and most of us certainly don't look like any of the gods. But seriously, we might not be mistaken for other gods, but we might be mistaken for being greater than we are. So we got to be careful with that. Be careful to not take God's place. I don't, don't know if you have this experience. You show up to a place, you're nice, and you listen to people. And people really enjoyed having you around, having you there. And you start to think you are greater than you are. This is one of Satan's old tactics. He wants us to elevate ourselves, to be like God. We sang this song earlier. I mean, yes, we do want to be like God. We want to, um, we want to be like Him and to reflect His characters, to love others. But Satan wants us to think we are as God. Then Barnabas and Paul spoke of the true God. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. 
He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So here's the good news. We can turn from the worthless things to the living God who made everything. Who was so gracious, showing kindness to all people even before they knew him. He provided them with abundance, even though they were not aware of him. Even though their sacrifices were made to false gods instead of to the true living God. Can you see how Barnabas and Paul were trying to make their case by contrasting the living God from their false gods? Uh, the false gods are a real burden. Constantly finding, finding reasons to punish those who worship them. They are cruel. And if you are in a place like Lystra, you have all sorts of different gods. Then you have a great, great burden because you have to keep all the different gods happy. And I think many of you who are from overseas might have that experience growing up in that sort, that sort of culture. You have to make sacrifices to, to the god of war, um, a separate sacrifice to the god of love, Another sacrifice to ensure your business makes money. And if you are going somewhere and you want a smooth journey, there you go. Another sacrifice to another God. And so on and so forth. And if your crops failed, then you have to ask, is that because the God of crops or the God of weather isn't happy? So you have to make another sacrifice, probably even bigger sacrifice. And then to some, to some gods, you might even have to sacrifice your own children um, in order to please them or to appease their anger. Can you see the difference? Our living God, Paul and Barnabas spoke of, is a perfect and giving God. He is not a God that takes and takes and takes endlessly. He is not a God who is so needy and wants your sacrifice in order to keep him happy. In fact, our God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he took the initiative. He willingly offered us his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. How generous and loving was our God. There's another interesting thing about this mini-speech Barnabas and Paul gave. Um, this speech here doesn't mention anything about Israel, where, where they came from. Um, no mentioning of the scripture, the Bible. And they didn't mention Jesus. It doesn't even use the word, doesn't even use the word sin. It sounds a bit off, doesn't it? I suppose Paul and Barnabas weren't expecting them to know better. Instead, they shared the truth in an entirely different way. They appealed to them through the creator of the creation. They affirmed people's devotion towards their gods. At the same time, attempted to direct their attention to the real God. And our culture today is a bit like that, I think. Many people grow up knowing that there is a Bible, but most of them don't know what's in it. 
Paul and Barnabas started where people are at in order to get to know them. Uh, sometimes we feel like sharing the gospel with people, we have to go to the Bible. And we need to talk about Jesus. And, and rightly so. That's what we want to do, what we, what we should do. But it's okay to not always start, start with the Bible in order to get to the Bible, if you know what I mean. Paul and Barnabas found out what people's idols are and went from there. Do we know what our idols are in our culture, in our society? And coming to our final point, the gospel we preach brings hardship. So Barnabas and Paul gave their speech, barely keeping the crowd from offering sacrifices to them. Then the Jews who hated Paul and Barnabas also got there. They went all the way from Antioch and Iconium to persecute them. That's roughly the distance from here to Birmingham. Uh, that's how far they walked in order to, to try and kill them. And can you imagine hating someone so much that you're willing to walk all the way there? Paul himself was like that before he came to Christ. Um, that same kind of zeal and hatred towards the Christians drove them to travel long distance. So they, those Jews came, persuaded the crowd, and they stoned Paul. See what happened? Paul and Barnabas started being seen as gods. They probably, probably could have milked that for a few days, you know, have, have a good time being treated like, like gods. But instead, they shared the gospel and being attacked rather than being worshipped. So bad that they thought Paul was dead. But then Paul got up and walked right back into the city. This is incredible. Here, Luke paints another picture of um, a strong contrast. Luke helped us to really see that those persecutors were, in fact, the true cowards. They wanted to kill Paul. But they knew that the Roman law doesn't allow lynching. Um, that means you cannot privately execute someone without going through the court, the legal system. And so here they are. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city to dump his body, presumably to avoid legal consequences. They're a bunch of cowards. But Paul got up and walked right back into the city not afraid of the risk of bumping into his persecutors. Paul was the brave one because he serves the one living God. And after spending some time in Derby, verse 21, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, to where they were previously attacked. And verse 22, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Um, what Paul was talking here wasn't about you guys having to go through hardship in order to get to heaven. Like, you know, you have to pray seven times a day uh, or starve yourself 
or whip yourself like some of those radical monks uh, to put, put themselves in hardship. Now, what, what Paul talks about here is a means of encouragement. So he wasn't saying you need to do all that in order to get to heaven. Um, we belong to God already because of what Jesus has done, done and, and we believe him and that has created us as righteous. But what Paul talked about here is to encourage us, to, to remind us to become a Christian in the first century is, is not a joke. I think to some of you here as well, when, when you chose to believe in Jesus, maybe your parents have disowned you. Um, to become a Christian in the first century, you're putting yourself in danger of all the oppositions we mentioned earlier. You could be become a social outcast because everyone else around you believes in something different. And that's why he's talked about you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, when we encounter people disagree, disagreeing with us, or more seriously, they attack us verbally or falsely accuse us, then we get all discouraged and thinking about giving up on following Jesus. A fellow um, missionary friend told me once, he said, Aaron, don't confuse opposition with persecution. What you are experiencing is merely oppositions. Paul and Barnabas were threatened again and again, often physically attacked. Their lives were in constant danger. They were properly being persecuted. But they persevered for the Lord because they knew the gospel they preach is true. The God they preach is real and living and changes lives. Are you willing to count the cost and pay the price to follow Jesus? Even though following Jesus can be so hard sometimes, and you might run into obstacles or face oppositions or even persecutions when you try to share the gospel with people. Remember, it is Jesus our Lord who's doing all the heavy lifting. It is he who changes lives, not us. Uh, let's have a moment of quiet. Uh, close your eyes if you would. Asking yourselves, would you want to be like Paul and Barnabas? To be strong and courageous because the God we preach is living. Would you let him sit on the, in the driver's seat? If you don't know him yet, would you want to consider turning to the God who is gracious and who generously gives everything? He even gave his son Jesus Christ who died for our sins. Are there worthless things you are following or idols you hold dear to that might prevent you from, from turning to God? And finally, if you were to tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, or even strangers about our living God, about his gospel, how would you want to introduce our living God to them?
Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you that you are the living, true God. Thank you for using us for the, for the advance, advancement of your kingdom. Please open our eyes to see where you are already at work so we can join you. And thank you that you are the one who changes lives. Give us boldness and courage to be your witnesses in this world that's hostile to you. Would you bless us so that we can better spread your word and to see people coming to know you as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.